Hello and welcome once again to the world of Lord Russell Baker, our regular podcast talking about all the things that, that's been going on in Lord Russell's wild and very exciting world. And this week we're being a bit topical. We're talking about titles, traditions, iconic landmarks and history. Hi, Russell. How are you? Ah, oh, good morning, Ed. Yeah, what a scripting we've got today. I, I just love this particular episode. So much to yeah, talk about. Wonderful. We're, we're, we're going traditional, aren't we? Uh, Lord we Russell, as you are. So uh, I think, let, tell us how that title all came about. Well, it's an interesting story. Um, my grandfather, uh, Jim Beddoes, uh, Jim was from my mother's side, so not my father's side, my mother's side. And Jim was a very wealthy man going back in the years. He had lots of land and property. Uh, in the UK, and of course, including Norfolk, and uh, I, there was a talk as well about having land in France as well, but I can't, I can't, I can't vouch for that. And many years ago, all this serviced, and then under investigation and genealogy checks, I did employ a, a UK lawyer uh, to investigate further, and um, he dug up a, a, a title. Um, and of course, through this lawyer, he then wrote uh, to me under the laws of England, Wales, a deed of possession and ownership, which is now uh, drafted and in my possession. So, you know, I do have this deed, which is rather interesting to this manorial title. Um, but it is a, a manorial title. That's all it is, really. Um, just a possession. A possession in the same way as you'd own a house. You know, <laughs> when we own a house, we have a deed. And that deed is our legal entitlement document to that that ownership. And the same applies really to manorial titles. So and I have this deed. Um, um, and that's really what it is. But I do have full incorporal uh, rights of the ownership, hereditary rights, so a title which means I can pass it on. So it's, it's, it's quite cool, really. It's quite nice to have. Um, but it is just literally just a, a possession, like a car and a car park, my house and a uh, title. Uh, and yours. yours- Yours to pass on, as you say, one day. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, um, just to sort of go on with this, manorial titles are merely titles of possession, really. That's all they are. And something I own and use to my advantage when raising charitable funding and organising charity events, uh, much of which uh, I achieved before COVID, of course, and COVID put an end to lots of these events I was doing. And uh, and now, of course, looking to re-establish again. But it must be stressed and a lot of people ask me this. I'm not a peer. I'm not a peer of the realm because there are two types of lords, of course, in the UK. So I am not a peer. And as such, I do not act as a peer of the realm either. Um, so I don't have a seat in the House of Lords. That's what it comes down to. I'm not a peer. It's purely manorial. Um, and uh, and that's that's the, the pure, pure title that it is. However, there are some interesting editorials, too, out there that I am listed within, which is quite interesting. And a lot of this obviously is done through genealogy. Uh, one uh, one of the, the areas is, is Manorial, the Manorial Guild of Great Britain. Now, I did know about this, and I've been listed in this particular under this particular guild for many many years now. But interestingly, of course, the 18th Duke of Norfolk is also listed on the same page as me as Lord of the Manor of Kenninghall, based in Norfolk too. So it's quite a, a, a steep book of listed uh, manorial lords and, and ladies across the whole of the UK and Wales. And, of course, um, recently the Manorial Society of England and Wales, um, I'm listed in there too, which I didn't know about uh, until a few weeks ago in November by a friend when he called me and said, oh, by the way, Russell, um, good to see you listed in the Manorial Society of England and Wales. Well, well I didn't know that. 
So when I checked it, yes, I am indeed um, listed in in that publication. Um, what's interesting is the Manorial Society of England and Wales actually publishes uh, a book every year um, of the latest uh, editions and, and alterations, a copy of which goes to the British Library um, as part of the Legal Deposit Office, um, so held in history for all time. A bit like my autobiography, my way. So that's actually also in the British Library, of course, as we know, for the Legal of it is, Deposit yes, Office. But- that they should be next to each other, shouldn't they? They should be, actually. But, I mean, there'll be lots of them now because I think the, the Manorial Guild of Great Britain, they do an annual release, and uh, so there's many of them now in the British Library. So it's nice to be listed uh, in, in these 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 books um, and, uh, and known about. So I didn't know I was in that, but that's an interesting finding in the last few weeks. It is, isn't it? And, I mean, this, this, this trend for titles and hierarchy, I mean, I'm thinking of my home village of Rancaster, where the yes. Lord of the Manor used to be a lady up until I think it was the 1960s. The Lord of the Manor now in Rancaster is actually the National Trust. Yes. So they they took the title under their ownership, and obviously, again, it, it will be theirs one day to pass on if they deem fit or, or whatever. It, it, it's so interesting. It goes back hundreds of years, doesn't it? Oh, it does indeed. I mean, it's it's back to the feudal times. Um, so feudal titles, systems and structure in the UK is indeed very ancient. And it dates back to, for my memory anyway, I'd have to check further, back to the early 1200s. Um, it's a multi-layered and full of history. And of course, many of the titles are symbolic only, um, including mine. So no one has any real power these days. Um, not, not like they used to in the old days, of course, because the, the the Lord of the Manor did have a lot of say in, in his manorial uh, area and uh, ruled the people with an iron fist in most cases. But some manorial titles do have assets, uh, even these days, attached or even unwanted tasks, such as having to cut the churchyard grass and keeping the church grounds tidy. So some do come with some unwanted uh, um, aspects to them. They're not all, they don't all have fishing rights, for example. You know, they're most, of course, have nothing at all these days. So, better keep your lawnmower ready just in case, haven't you? <laughs> you had indeed. I mean, I, I mean, what it shows is the real power and influence lies within those whose titles are administrative ones, strangely enough, isn't it? Including government. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and in this case, of course, um, the House of Commons and the House of Lords um, both say what they are literal descriptions. The House of Commons in, is populated, of course, by the common folk, the MPs, who represent all of us. And the House of Lords by aristocracy, that's always been the way. Um, if you think it's a bit like a balance between common people and aristocracy to try and ensure legal balance for all, um, which probably doesn't work uh, that well, really, even today. But there is a balance there. So whatever laws are trying to be passed by, by the, in the Commons, uh, the Lords actually have a say on that too, So and vice versa. Uh, I think the Lords used to be one of the highest courts in the land, didn't it? Uh, but I don't think that's the case anymore. But it's, it's a check and balance. It's a check and balance. So try and keep a balance with, with in the country for, from a legal perspective. So that's, that's how but, that kind of works. But you've had experience, haven't you? Working experience, really, of both, of both houses. Yeah, I have. And uh, we can get into that a little bit here as well. But I mean, it's also worth commenting. um, The House of Commons is, in fact, one of the real powerhouses these days, especially after Tony Blair's House of Lords reforms in 1999. There's been subsequent reforms, too, with that. Um, But interestingly, uh, this reform in 1999, which has been an important amendment, which actually allowed 92 hereditary peers to remain members of the Lords in 1999 for an interim period. 
the Act actually reduced membership of the House of Lords from 1,330 sitting peers to only 669, mainly live peers. True history in the making, uh, even in these relatively modern times. Um, and, and of course, you have sat in both houses, haven't you? Although yeah, not, as you say, as, as your title, it, it's more of a literally sitting there, isn't it? Yeah, literally. I, I, I technically, uh, yes, literally, technically speaking, I have sat in both houses, which is an inspiration. And, and when you go into into these the, into the houses, they are so small. When you see them on TV, they look quite large, um, a bit like most things that appear on TV. Football stadiums are the same, but they really are very small. But when I, but this is all when I provided business services uh, to the Palace of Westminster in 2002, uh, a very interesting role actually, where I was engaged to establish and document what the critical service were services were in both houses. The services which must continue, uh, must continue in a potential disaster scenario, um, such as an aircraft crash. You know, I mean, it's near Heathrow, an aircraft would come down and land on the, the, the Palace of Westminster at any time, I guess. Uh, and therefore, if that disaster happens, you know, what are the critical services? Or indeed, dare I say, in another dastardly assassination attempt. Um, you know, as we know, a well known example, of course, is the celebrated event for many in the UK particularly at our age, Ed, we'd remember it very well going back, uh, paying for the guy and all these kind of good things, was a gunpowder plot in 1605. And uh, in earlier centuries, of course, often called the gunpowder treason plot or the Jesuit treason, which was a failed ass uh, assassination attempt against King Charles I by a group of provincial English Catholics, believe it or not, led by, and this is an amazing name, really, isn't it, Robert Gatsby. Is that a name you conjure with, Ed? Gatsby, yeah, Gatsby. yeah. He, he, he's not the well-known name, is he? Guy, Guy Fawkes is the name we all talk about, but I yes. think he was just a guy that was supposed to light the fuse, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. Robert Gatsby, of course, was, was sought to restore the Catholic uh, monarchy to England after decades of persecution by the Catholics. And, of course, his, 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 his chap, his sidekick, um, you know, Guy Fawkes, is real. He did exist, Guy Fawkes. Mm -hmm. And um, he was uh, Robert Gatsby's sidekick, who literally was going to light the fuse and set the gunpowder going throughout the whole of them, and blow the whole of the Palace of Westminster into kingdom come. I mean, it's a massive... I, when I was there, I actually got down to the catacombs of uh, the houses, and I actually walked into the, the room where they um, actually stored these barrels of gunpowder. It's a fairly sizable room, and if you could imagine the, the amount of gunpowder that was in there, it probably would have blown half of London to pieces. It was huge. So it was an incredible time, and um, hence the penny for the guy. I remember walking yes. around as a child, collecting pennies outside shops for fireworks and all that good stuff, building a bonfire. Yes, you'd have a, you'd have a, you'd have your Guy Fawkes in a wheelbarrow, wouldn't you? And uh, absolutely, make him, yeah, yeah. God, I remember, I remember doing that as well. It doesn't seem to happen these days. I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man, but they they don't oh. seem to do a penny for the guy anymore. I think that's all changed, isn't it? You know, Halloween's crept in now, the American versions yeah. of whatever that is, taken over, isn't it? November the 5th, gunpowder day, you know, where you light your fireworks and light a big bonfire and put your guy on top of the bonfire to burn. Oh, God, you don't see it anymore. It's a real shame. And the other, the other part, of course, people forget, of course, is Oliver Cromwell. What an amazing character he was. And um, I always say, because when I was working in, in, the, in, in both houses, I did actually, as part of the Commons, go into Oliver Cromwell's office where, where he, he would reside in, in the time going back. 
And of course, I always laugh at this now because I look at it. And when he used to come into the Houses of Parliament or the Houses of the, the Palace of Westminster on his horse, this horse would go in underneath and uh, he would get off and, and tie up his horse and then walk up the stairs directly into his office. So I suppose, technically speaking, he, had, he was the first ever underground car park, or in this case, a horse. But that was how it was in those days. It was an amazing office, quite small, but huge history, huge history. Um, yep. And, of course, I think Oliver Cromwell's uh, death warrant was actually signed in that office by the king at the time. So it's amazing think, to be part of it. Thinking of Cromwell, obviously, and, and, you know, there will always be those who advocate the abolition of the monarchy. Um, yes. But it did happen in 1649 under Cromwell. It did. But, but Britain didn't turn into this this nirvana, did it, when it that didn't. happened? It wasn't a, suddenly a fabulous place to be in with no royal family and all the rest of it. It was quite uh, quite yeah. hard for people, wasn't it? It was very hard for people, and I think you know, um, we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, forget this either. Uh, you know, and uh, people who want to get rid of the monarchy these days, you know, take heed, uh, take heed really from from what's happened historically over time. You know, history has a habit of repeating itself, so you know, don't try and uh, fix what's not broken. Basically, at the end of the day, which is what they tried in those days, and of course, it was a complete disaster. It really was. Um, but interesting, interesting times which we can talk about, I'm sure, um, as this goes through a bit further. But I just wanted to talk about my role, actually, first of all, at the Palace of Westminster. You know, it was an interesting part, um, really, going back in 2002, and uh, involved interview interviewers and really key people as part of the, the services that must remain running um, when in, in times of a disaster, world war or whatever goes on, you know, the, the defamation of the whole of the services that run within the houses. So I, I, I was actually uh, uh, had to go around and interview some key people and interviewing the hand sales editors for both houses, for example, which is an interesting uh, aspect. Because uh, if you remember, there's two houses, so there's both there's two Hansard editions, papers that are produced daily. And these papers uh, are produced for, the, for what goes on in both houses at the time. And um, so that's an interesting aspect. And the first, uh, uh, and uh, when I got speaking to those guys, it was an interesting aspect. And of course, the Speaker of the House as well, Michael Martin, was also who was elected in 2000 and was the first Catholic speaker since the Reformation. In fact, it was my, Michael Martin who told me about the clocks in the Westminster uh, Palace of Westminster, a wholly interesting and, and historical fact. When I first met Michael, he told me about these, and uh, I thought, "Is he pulling my leg?" And of course, when I actually <laughs> sp spoke to this to the uh, both the um, Hansard's uh, um, editors, they said, "Oh no, it's absolutely true." And they told me, and they they said to me, "Look at our clocks now, wall. There's no not as nice as Michael Martin's." Oh, they said, "No, Michael Martin did have it, a substantial clock on his wall, but his office was absolutely appalling in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the palace, no windows, not a very good uh, office at all." Um, but, of course, the editors had a lovely office, shades, lounge, windows, but their clock wasn't as good. So it's an interesting story, which we can probably talk about another time. Very hierarchical, isn't it, in all these places? Even, even the clocks define your position within the hierarchy. Again, what a, what a wonderful tradition, because I guess back in the day, you wouldn't have a clock, would you? You'd tell the time by looking out of the window and seeing where the sun was. Exactly. Exactly. That's how it was in those days, wasn't it? But, it, it, you know, over the years, this whole... Thing around a clock on your wall um, was was devised to show your your eminence within the, the Palace of Westminster. So yes, uh, your, 
you know, incredible. I, I had meetings with people in less positions who would have a beautiful office overlooking the Thames, the, uh, high up, you know, the scenery, chaise lounge in the corner, you know, drinks cabinet. But they didn't have a very nice clock on the wall. It's, it's quite incredible. But a nice story to, 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 to have learned about, really, in those days. Wonderful. But a history. It is. It is, and, and a nice, a nice place for you as a, as a manorial lord to go to to see what see what the real ones in inverted commas get up to. Yeah, and exactly what a place right. to what a place to visit. It, you can visit, can't you? But don't you have to ask permission for your MP to go in or something? Uh, you can visit. I think you can pay for visits these days, actually, as well. I think, but you know, since um, COVID, I think that might have stopped a little bit. But you could pay for visits. But there was a tour. It's a bit like going around HMS Victory down in Portsmouth. You're in and out the door quickly. Um, not like yesterday, yesteryears, we could wander around. Um, but of course, if you do pay to go, you, you don't see everything. They just show you certain parts. So the cabinets, the glass cabinets, which have all the signed death warrants of the kings and queens and Guy Fawkes, I have access to, but the general public wouldn't do. Uh, so I had a full pass to go in and, and I could walk around freely in both houses. It was brilliant. It's a lovely time. And of course, it, they're now spending, well, tens of millions of pounds, aren't they, updating it and I think doing the wiring for the whole place. That's quite some oh. project. Well, it's massive, <laughs> isn't it? You can imagine the wiring in that building must be, well, centuries, well, not centuries, but uh, hundreds of, uh, tens of, ten, well, years old. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, when the electricity was, was was created, of course, it would have been candles years ago. But yeah, the, the, the wiring must be awful. And I can remember walking down, seeing signs on doors, beware, asbestos. That's how old and how desolated some of the areas are in the Palace of Westminster. So, uh, yeah, interesting times. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy moment, really. And when you think about uh, when people f- fought for their lives, we're going back to Oliver Cromwell's times, um, were even more miserable. They, you know, they, they quite liked the monarchy, monarchy back then. Can you imagine a life like that today? So, yeah, do think twice when you want to remove the monarchy and change things yeah. in this country. C- certainly under Cromwell, no singing, no dancing, no merriment. And, of course, this is relevant where we are. At the time of this podcast, no, no Christmas. Christmas was forbidden, wasn't it? It was. It was abolished. You know, it's complete chaos and anarchy, wasn't it? You know, Puritans, you know, all these dreadful tales. Tough times uh, these must have been. But of course, King Charles II restored the monarchy, and it's been with us ever since. So good times come back. Um, so we must remember that history has, as I said earlier, does have a habit of repeating itself. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> That's the it does. Really. I mean, g- g- going back to your title, I mean, are, do you have any, you, you briefly mentioned some of the responsibilities you might have. Are you aware if you have any rights? I mean, can you drive your sheep down Little Milton High Street, <laughs> for example? <laughs> oh, yeah, very good. Absolutely no rights at all. Um, but we must remember that going back uh, to the early 1920s, Actually, not long ago, really, is it? A hundred years. It became law that the owner of a manor and said title could sell both as separate items, Um, whereas previously the title was sold with the manor or said property. What this really meant, of course, was that the owner had two investments to to, um, to, to, to realise for financial gain. What it's meant, of course, is it's not illegal, of course, these days to buy or sell manorial titles in England, Wales. And it, it in, in some cases, this can be a huge financial asset. Not in all cases, however, as some manorial titles do, do come with entitlements, for example, fishing rights or, as you say, le- legally able to drive your sheep down the high street. Um, there are there are those parts to it. But, yeah, it's it's not it's not what people think, really. Um but yeah, they are. There's, there's, I think there's one title went. I think the title of Wimbledon went for over a million pounds uh, a few years ago. So there are Beautiful. there are some financial aspects. There to this. are. 
I mean, I mean, your rights might have been very different a few hundred years ago. And I'm, I'm thinking you as ye oldy Lord Russell, the medieval lord of the manor with tenants. Yeah. What do you think you'd have been? Would you have been a nice uh, a nice lord or a, or a hard taskmaster? Oh, certainly wouldn't have been a hard taskmaster. I'm not that sort of way to, or built that way. So I'd have been the nice person. I'd have been looking after people, making sure everybody was okay, I guess, which is what I kind of do today with my, my charity work. So... Yeah, I wouldn't have been well, a whole time. Well, that's a good that's a good link actually because you enjoy the title and the responsibility that goes with it, but at the same time, you, you don't take it that seriously, do you? It, it's it's for want of a better word, it's almost part of your brand, isn't it, for the work that you do in the charitable industry? Yeah, definitely. I think it's fair to say I never take it seriously, um, never have, um, but it is now part of my brand, which, you, as you say, Ed, and has been developed over many, many years now. Uh, hence, as I jokingly say to people, my now famous orange jacket, which is on Indeed. the front of my my autobiography, my way. But moreover, I use it for my charity work, as I said earlier, and supporting many local charities, which have uh, which have included each East Anglian Children's Hospices. And of course, the patron, of course, of, of each is Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge, um, who, going back, uh, very kindly donated a basket of Prince George's baby clothes to me in 2013. Um, and for my for my online charity auction on behalf of each in September 2013, a huge donation amongst many other great donations to to uh, resulting in raising around fifteen thousand plus for charity. And uh, events obviously coming up into next year and beyond. You, you, COVID, as we said before, has sort of taken the window of your charitable sales. But you're, you're up and running again now, aren't you, in getting things planned? Yes, I'm up and running and doing, uh, trying to plan things again. So trying to get up uh, post-COVID, trying to get things moving. So with events, uh, and hopefully that will also include some charitable events as well. But it's going to take some time to come back, I think, and get the confidence of people too. Good. I mean, I think before we before we sign off, you do. We mentioned it last week. We'll mention it again next week. You do have some darts coming up, don't you? I do. I've got a darts events at Kingsley Town Football Club in February, uh, the first Friday in February. Uh, that's happening at the club. Um, the tickets are on sale via the via Kingsley Football Club, and we've got some great players. We've got two world champions in my good friend Keith Dello, and also my good friend Steve Beaton too. Um, they're appearing, and Russ Bray, the voice. Uh, you know, who just have just come out actually of the 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 the, the world's actually doing the commentary on there as well, doing doing is what he does for PDC um, on stage, so doing all the cooling. So um, uh, I, you know, so it's going to be a great event. So I'll, I'll be there as well to interview both Keith, Steve, and Russ Bray on stage. Be a great night, great night of darts. And uh, I have to I have to say, as an MC, if you've not been to one of Lord Russell's events, then you need to see him in action as an MC. He put a microphone in your hand, and you're a natural. I think your hero Sinatra would be proud of you. I think he would too, actually. Yeah. And I did do a song actually when I was in Thailand recently. I went on stage and sung my way. Can you believe it? So uh, I was gr- told to go up and I had to sing it. That was fantastic. Don't mind doing I'd, that from time to time. I bet that I bet it went down really well. Well, I tried to. I'm not. I can't sing really, but uh, I don't think my voice came across too badly. <laughs> so that was a good thing. Probably a couple of glasses of wine was enough to get the throat you know, well watered. But um, yeah, no, I don't mind doing that. Yeah, give me a microphone. I'm happy. Love to MC. Yes. It's perfect. Fantastic. Good to entertain. We'll talk about this in more detail on another part. I think there's so much. There's so much to cover. Yes. Um, and we sort of touched barely touched a lot of it. We'll be doing one more podcast before Christmas, and we're going to we're going to be talking about Christmas, aren't we? We haven't quite worked out what we'll be talking about with regard to Christmas, but um, I think again, traditions and history is going to be in there, isn't it? 
Oh, will be. I think it'd be a nice topical Christmas feel. Let's make it very nice, you know, and, and warm for everybody because it's going to be quite a, a difficult time for lots of people this year. Let's be very fair. And to, uh, to, to talk about the nice, warm uh, historical f- aspects and aspects of Christmas would be lovely. So, let's, yeah, let's have some let's have some talk about that. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. A bit Check, of Christmas spirit. Bit. Absolutely. Christmas spirit, a bit of Christmas cake. Uh, you know, some pies. We can probably share share a bit of mulled wine actually on the, on the day, couldn't we, Adrian? Well, we could. That would be nice. Well, quite, I, I went to a Christmas market in Winchester last week, and everywhere you walk, there's this aroma of mulled wine, and it's it's oh. just fabulous. Ah, you sort of get this time of the year. It's, it's great, isn't it? So, apart from the cold weather, um, this will be my first, I think, Christmas in the UK since 2017. This year, so I'm so used to warm weather at Christmas. It's going to be a bit of a shock to me this year. It really is. Yeah, you're not going to have your shorts on on Christmas morning this year, I don't think. No, well, well, I'm wearing shorts now. Can you believe it? So I've got (laughs) so used to it that um, it's very hard to get rid of the the shorts wearing because you get used to them, I do say, with the warm weather. But, um, yeah, it's getting cold now. Even for me, it's freezing out there. It is cold, very much so. Okay, well, that just about wraps it up for this week. Um, We've noticed we're getting lots more subscribers, which is fantastic. We want to say a very big thank you to all of them, don't we? We do, yeah. Thank you for all the listeners, and thank you for all those that uh, listen in regularly, and uh, all the new listeners too. It is growing. Um, I've got stats recently where we've we're up to now 178, I think, in Apple Podcasts in the charts. So it's moving up steadily, which is very, very nice statistics, uh, which which shows that um, it's a good show, and we will yeah, continue it, to build it and make it better. Exactly, and everybody out there is part of it. If you want to ask anything of Lord Russell, drop him a line. Easy to do. And we'll we'll address it in a future in a future podcast. Absolutely. If you've got anything you you want us to talk about, we'll happily do it. So wonderful. Um, be good. Russell, as always, an absolute pleasure. Enjoy your day. Enjoy the cold weather. Put some trousers on. <laughs> I shall do. Oh, well, I'll try to anyway. I can find my trousers. I think they're locked away somewhere. Um, yes, <laughs> I have to find my trousers. I need some now. It's getting cold. Thanks, Ed. Always nice to speak to you too as well. It's been a lovely, lovely experience again, this episode. I've enjoyed it very much, and I hope the listeners enjoy it as much as we've enjoyed recording it. Definitely, I hope so as well. We'll be back again very soon. So from from, from me, Ed Cousin Lake, it's bye-bye, and of course from himself. Lord Russell, it's bye-bye too. Have a great time. Have a great weekend, everybody. Speak soon.